welcome back to the Euro Trips Football Podcast. We had our international break and we had our own break of our own, but we are back now as the crunch time of the domestic seasons is now afoot. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm this week joined by two of our regulars. First of all, joined by Ryan. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Good stuff. And our other guest is Jonathan, back with us after a few weeks off. How have you been, Jonathan? Very good. Thank you. Great stuff. And isn't it good now, as this time of year in the football calendar, it really is the best time because now you've got Champions League quarterfinals coming, you've got obviously semi-finals in the final, but you've got that crunch time in April where there seems to be games on every day um, and it just seems to be, it is the best time of year for football fans. So um, I don't know what you've always been, I'm certainly looking forward to some of these leagues and certainly the one league that is one of the leagues that is certainly a talking point at the moment is the Premier League as the title race top four and relegation are all still to fight for in the um in this league this season. So Arsenal, they got a win. Um they got a four one win uh over uh, Leeds United um, and also City early in that day also got a four one win. They did it against my Liverpool. Um top four still a massive um you know contentious thing. Uh, Brighton and Brentford drew three all in what was a game of the week for me. Um, fantastic game where both teams who have really shocked this season are looking to cement at least Europa League, if not more. Um, other results, obviously you mentioned Liverpool's one. Spurs play tonight against Everton, so when this podcast is out, it may well be going on or may have finished. Um, and then Man and Newcastle played out a game yesterday where Newcastle won 2-0 in a very dominant performance. Um, of course, going back to the City game, City-Liverpool game, I've got to give a huge credit to Jack Grealish. That is the performance of the week for me. Uh, absolutely brilliant performance. I mean, his involvement in the goal, the first goal for City, though, sorry, the um, yeah, the, the equaliser for Manchester City when we won the one up through Mo Salah. Grealish, we looked like we were going to go 2 0 up. A ball from Harvey Elliott over to Mo Salah. Had a chance to play to Jota, but just couldn't quite find him. But Jack Grealish was the man who won the ball back. A few seconds later, he's at the other end of the field and he's a guy to assist Julian Alvarez. So, a guy I've criticised a lot on this podcast. Um, I want to um, really congratulate him for that amazing performance and that, and that involvement in the goal, as well as the whole 90 minutes he was the best player on the pitch. So, um, But my main talking point really in the Premier League involved managers. Now, we've seen two major sackings in the last few days. Of course, Chelsea, a team that is now pretty much out of the top four race, um, out of European race altogether, you'd think, after their 2-0 loss to Aston Villa. That cost Graham Potter his job. Also, we've all seen Conte leave after his um, rant after Tottenham's loss or draw, I think, to Southampton. And then Brendan Rodgers at the other end of the, of the table, uh, Leicester, who are now in the bottom three after their late defeat to Crystal Palace on the weekend, who got a big win. Um, they got sacked Brendan Rodgers, and both of those happened on the same day. So, really, my what I want to bring to you guys really is just. Who do you guys see replacing these managers, really? Because we've got three vacancies uh, at the moment in Leicester, Chelsea and Tottenham. Um, we'll go to Chelsea first. Um, Jonathan, for you, um, who do you see becoming the new Chelsea manager? I think it will probably end up being Julian Nagelsmann. Um, you know, there have been several reports stating that after that surprising exit at Bayern that he was going to take a break a little bit and at least wait until the summer before he decided on his next team. But um, I think this project for him is going to be too difficult to turn down with the players he has at his, at his fingertips. 
Um, and, and yeah, I just think it's going to happen. I think he'd rather go to Chelsea than he would go to Spurs. So if I had to say at the moment, it'd be Nagelsmann. Um, I've been reading, reading what um, Fabrizio Romano has posted on Twitter. It looks like talks haven't exactly taken place yet, but I still expect Nagelsmann to, uh, to join Chelsea. And now, Ryan, Nicole, I'm looking now at the current uh, bookmakers' odds of the next manager. Nagelsmann is the overwhelming favourite, with Bruno Saltor, who is currently the interim uh, manager. Of course, Brighton fans will know him, the legendary left right back for that club. Third favourite is a guy you're a big fan of, Ryan and Luis Enrique, as well as uh, Pochettino in fourth, and Jose Mourinho in fifth, with Zidane in sixth. Um, in the odds. So, for you, Ryan, do you share Jonathan's sentiment? Or there may be a manager that I've mentioned, or even not mentioned, that you would um, you could see becoming the new Chelsea manager. Well, I mean, I think for whoever they decide to end up bringing in, it's a mammoth task for them to turn that mess around. Not only where they are in the table, which is you know dire for a club of Chelsea standards, but to try and please the playing squad that they currently have there will be a task on its own because we know that they have several experienced players that are currently not playing. Um, Aubameyang being one who can be a disruptive figure in the dressing room. They've brought in, obviously, a lot of young players over the last two windows. And, you know, they've got a, this huge first-team squad. And when players start to return from injuries, he's going to have a big job, whoever it is that takes the role, in keeping them happy. And you'd imagine that there'll be a lot of departures in the summer with not too many incomings because, you know, surely they can't bring in any more players in, over the summer. You know, and this is a club that spent £600 million. Pounds. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an obscene amount of money for just two transfer windows. You know, you, you'd expect that over maybe, you know, five to 10 years, but, but in just one season and to see where they are in the table is... Is disgraceful management from the uh, you know the high, high hierarchy at Chelsea and Todd Burley. I don't believe knows what he's doing at all. It screams someone who's. I think Gary Neville said it: playing football manager. It's not even playing football manager. It's cheating a football manager. It's someone who's bought the in-game editor and just doing whatever he wants. You know they've signed they've signed players on these you know ridiculous contracts and. It's nothing to do with their potential. It's because it enables them to get around financial fair play. So, you know, we get that one out there. But what happens if this new manager, if it is new Nagelsmann, for example, comes in and looks at some of these players and thinks, you know, I don't want them. They don't, they don't fit with how I want a team to play. And if they've just spent all this money on these players, what? You know, they're then going to make huge losses on them. And you know, that's the fact that they've already, you know, they spent what twenty-one million to get Graham Potter from Brighton. Along with all the um the backroom team as well, not just his coaching staff, but some of the technical team from Brighton that come along as well, and obviously that's not without even having to you know pay out the range of his contract, which is quite long as well. There are reports that it was going to cost them around sixty million, which is just crazy. And obviously, if they went and got Nagelsmann, they would then have to um pretty much take over what. Bayern Munich have been paying him or come to some, some kind of agreement. So it's it's madness how Chelsea are allowed to get away with this. But in terms of their next appointment, I don't believe it's the right fit for Nagelsmann personally. And you, 
I could all, you could almost see a scenario where the three managers are sacked, do a little uh, you know a little roundabout thing where they all end up at actually one of the other clubs because I think Brendan Rodgers would be a decent fit at Tottenham, both to play good football and uh, you know domestic manager knows most of the players as has shown in the past that he can do well with a top team. I think obviously Graham Potter's already apparently turned down Leicester City, but that could have been a, a good little role for him. And and even Antonio Conte going back to Chelsea could have got them out of a little bit of a muddle, uh, certainly for the short time. So you could have seen it happen. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Um, I don't know in terms of who Chelsea get next. Like I say, it probably will be Nagelsmann, but I think they're just going to get him just because of his name. I don't believe they'll put any kind of thought process behind it whatsoever. And, you know, they should have bit the bullet and waited until the end of the season because what are they going to do now? They're not going to they're not going to get European football now. Certainly not Champions League, maybe Europa League or Europa Conference League. But that's it, you know, and they're not going to win the Champions League. Even if a new manager comes in, there's not enough time to sort that out. So I, I really was amazed by the decision because all we've heard all season is that they're going to give him time and they've just flip-flopped on that. So it's it's disgraceful really all around from Chelsea, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I think that this is sort of Graham Potter's biggest problem with that. I don't think he knew his best team. So many players mm. have come in. Looking at the list now of players that have come in. So in the summer of loan, they bought Sterling for £47 million, Koulibaly for £33 million, uh, Guys never heard of Gabriel Salina, eight million. Uh, mm. from Aston Villa, twenty million pounds. Kukureta, fifty-six million pounds. You know, Fafana, sixty-nine point five million pounds. Abamyang, ten point three million. And that's just the summer alone. You know, winter. Uh, Brenwell Badiashili, who's been great at things, is coming in thirty-three million. Fafana, the different Fafana, eight million pounds for Molder. Uh, not the famous Andre Santos, Ryan will know, but a different one came for £80 million. Um, looking at his time at Chelsea, he's not even he's not even played a game for Chelsea. You know, look at um, Mikhailo Mudrik, €85 million. Euros. He's had next to no minutes football. He's barely been involved. Uh, non man the UK from Eindhoven, £29 million. Mayo Gusto, 26 And then the one I think obviously was a lot, but I think worth the money. He's been great so far. Enzo Fernandez, £106 million. But it's just, I mean, I think you'll see a lot of turnover. I think that, um, I think you get Nagelsmann in. I think what it'll be, whilst there's still a small chance of him, you know, getting them past Madrid, but I think also, I think gives him the chance just to get, you know, find out who his best team is towards the end of the season, tinker with a few lineups and get that lineup ready for next season. But I, I think that I can, I can see Aubameyang already leaving. Um, I think he was caught at the new camp um, watching his, uh, his, his old teammate. And and yeah, I think that Nagelsmann for me is the best appointment because I think whilst you know they were struggling a little bit in the Bundesliga, I think he did a good job as Bayern Munich to a certain extent. And I was surprised, but I think if Tuchel's available, you go and get him. Um, and actually, interesting actually as well that I did on our TikTok today. So if you're a regular watcher of our TikTok, you'll know what I'm about to say. But we could get a very unique situation in the Champions League semi-final. So if Bayern beat City, of course Tuchel's there. And if Chelsea somehow beat Real Madrid, they will um, face off uh, with Bayern in the semis, which means we could get Nagelsmann against his former club, too short against his former club, both who got sacked by that club in the same season, which I don't think we've ever seen before really in such a big game. So that will be very interesting. But 
for me, yeah, I think I feel so, I feel sorry for Potter in a way because a lot of the signings were his signings. I do feel like he's dealt a bad hand in that sense. I did think that maybe without Abramovich, maybe you know you would get that more time. And certainly, if you look at his history with the Dodgers, he gave he's given that manager a lot of time. But at the same time, um, I think the Chelsea fans have got so used to this constant managerial cycle of merry-go-round. I don't think the Chelsea fans were going to give him time. And certainly people like Rory Jennings were certainly on that train for a long time. So for me, I think it's the same. But I think Potter will go to a club and absolutely just repair his reputation. I think that whilst I think his time, maybe getting a big job, maybe again, maybe not for him. But I think certainly, you know, look at a club like Brighton, uh, or that sort of level of team, or maybe even a Tottenham, or maybe even a um, a team like that, or mid-table team or above, I think that would be perfect. But I will say again, though, um, Graham Potter's biggest issue at Brighton was scoring goals. They scored tons of goals since he left, and I think that the Zabi has come in and done a better job already, and I think that there's a worry for me that maybe... He was doing so, so well at Brighton, we thought, because Brighton had been so bad, had been so mediocre in the past. I think now we're seeing what this team, which pretty much is Potter's team, what they can do. Um, I think, I think I do worry from slightly that maybe he's been slightly exposed, and maybe we were, I don't know, maybe we were thinking he was good because Brighton had no expectations, but I don't know. Um, our second sacking was Conte, um, and I got to say, Ryan, I got to give you a round of applause here that you were a guy who called this right at the start. He did say it wouldn't work out. Um, he's now, obviously, he's gone, uh, left by mutual consent. Looking at the favourites to get the job, Rogers is the bookie's favourite, um, with Nagelsmann second, uh, Poch third, uh, Potter fifth, uh, Vincent Company sixth. I don't see that happening in a million years. And I can yeah. still see Tuchel seventh, but I think that, I don't know why that's on there, because he's just joined Bayern's. But um, back to you, Ryan. Um, who do you think Spurs should go for? Uh, in a way, I think it's helped because if um, if Chelsea hadn't sacked Potter, obviously there was a lot of links to um, to Nagelsmann, and that would have been a move that I would have hated because I I really liked Nagelsmann. I liked him when he was at Hoffenheim and at RB Leipzig as well. I thought he'd done a good job at Bayern as well. He's just not a Bayern Munich manager in. Um, the sense of how young he is and a few little quirks that he has. Um, <clears throat> so I'm glad that that's probably not, now not going to happen. It looks like they're going to keep the um, Conte's assistant, Selene, whatever his name is, until the end of the season. In terms of who they might, I mean, I, I, I think they tried to get Luis Enrique. I think he's turned that one down as well. And it doesn't surprise me because... You know, you wonder where they're going to go. You wonder what Harry Kane's situation might be. You know, Man United are sniffing around again. He may look to move on. But I don't know. I think I could see it being Brendan Rodgers, maybe, or even Graham Potter if it's at the end of the season. I think both would be solid moves. They're not game changers by any, any stretch. I don't see why Pochettino would go back there after how brutal they were in sacking him after he'd done such a decent job for them. Um, it's a tricky one for Tottenham. You know, you look at the key players they have in Kane and uh, Son. You know, Son's had an underwhelming season and, and both of them are starting to creep into their 30s as well. So you look at the rest of the squad, it's quite average. They don't really have any standout young players either. So 
you do wonder which direction they're heading in and especially with all the clubs around them making giant strides forward, you know, especially Newcastle and you know Chelsea are gonna be you know back to some kind of normality in the near future, you know they're gonna be there as well. And then there's there's all there's a, you know, every single club in the Premier League are ambitious and you do worry. Well, I don't because I don't like them. But for for a Tottenham fan, I'd be extremely worried with their with their future. To be honest, yeah, I think certainly. I think if Kane leaves, I think that could be almost seeing Spurs back to what we've seen them. You know, in the years gone by, where they've been, you know, constantly an eighth or ninth place team. But um, I certainly think that I think Rodgers will be good short term. I think what I I like the guy a lot. Um, I was. Very sad when he sacked him, but then again, we hired Klopp. So, but I do think that Rogers, what he does in every club, he starts off really well, and then eventually, um, with the exception of Swansea, he left there fairly early into his time there. But if he's there for longer than a certain amount of time, we saw it with Liverpool, we saw it with um, Leicester. Um, I think that he is a manager that starts really well, uh, and then eventually he does seem to fade away. So I think that. He's got to be. They got to be wary of that, and I think if they want a short-term fix, Rogers, I think is the guy. But at the same time, I do feel that um, if they want a long-term manager, I think that you know, I don't think he's the answer. But you know, looking at other candidates, John Thurney, looking at further down the list, Thomas Frank, he may feel like he's done all he can at Brentford. Uh, Marcus Silva, maybe the same at Fulham. Desarbi's um, on this list, but I think he's bitter early in his time there. And one manager I've seen a link a lot recently with um, English football jobs um, and did really well in Scotland is the Celtic manager, Ange Postacoglu. Um, any of those managers stick out or are you going to stick with maybe one of the um, top guys? I mean, Arne Slot as well is involved in this. So um, for you, John, then who would you recommend Spurs um, hiring as their manager? Yeah, none of, none of those names really stick out to me. I mean, I think any decent manager in world football should avoid Spurs at all costs. I mean, I, I, I just feel like it's a fairly helpless situation. I could definitely see them making a run back for Pochettino again, uh, just try and rekindle some of that Champions League quote-quote magic per se that they had a few years back. And um, I mean, it's just such a mess. And it'll be interesting to see if, if Harry Kane does end up signing that contract extension this summer and I think a lot of that will you know surround be surrounded by who they hire as their next um, trainer in, t- in charge but um, yeah I mean with with Daniel Levy at the helm you know it's it's just a mess and um, whoever does end up getting the job I doubt it will be for more than uh, a season just because ever since Bochettino left um it's just been a merry-go-round of, of head coaches left and right. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Nope. Uh, I think it's a, certainly a worrying time for Spurs, but, you know, top four still on for them. Um, and I think they, if they get they get good run together, maybe a new fresh face as a manager maybe will help things. I don't know. But, um, yeah, certainly is um, tied to that area of the table. But also the bottom of the table, of course, uh, big wins on this weekend for Palace and Bournemouth. Um, the goal of the week for me came from uh, Marcus Tavernier. Um, his goal, curling effort, uh, the fullback, one of the best goals we've seen in the last few weeks, and that was a fantastic goal. But the table was very tight at the bottom, and of course that meant that Brendan Rodgers did lose his job. Uh, Leicester are, as it stands, in the bottom three. 
um, after their loss um, most recently. And yeah, it's a very tight bottom of place. You know, you've got, you know, Palace, Chelsea, uh, obviously they're 11th, but they're way away from being anywhere near a relegation battle. But, you know, from 12th onwards, from 12th to 20th, um, Palace got 30 points in 12th. Bournemouth are just three points behind in 17th. And then Southampton, after their loss on the weekend, they're a bit further down with 23. But, you know, they're probably one of the teams that will go down. But even then, um, they now play the game more than every team apart from the likes of Everton, Wolves and Palace. But uh, Leicester, of course, they're, they're looking for a new manager. Um, it's a different one for Leicester compared to the likes of um, Tottenham and Chelsea in the centre. They've got different goals. They want to just stay up. So their manager search is going to be a bit more limited, I think. Um, I'm just going to look up, again, Leicester manager odds next per manager. One of the favourites is Poster Coglu. Um Again, Graham Potter's a favour, but Ryan's, well, from what Ryan said, looks like he's not going to be going there. Benitez is second favourite. Um, frankly, I think his football's outdated. I don't think he should go there. Uh, Yondal Thomason, who's um, currently, um, he's, I forgot what team he's in the championship, uh, doing all right there. From all the, Ralph, Ralph Hassan-Hutel is fourth. Uh, Stephen Gerrard is sixth. Um, so yeah, I think Michael Carrick is one that's been mentioned, but I think um, certainly with him, I think he's doing well with Middlesbrough. So why, why leave when you're probably going to make it in the Premier League anyway? Um, yeah, for Leicester, it's a different one for them. Um, how do you boys see this going, uh, Jonathan? Um, any manager you would say of that list I just gave out? That um, I mean, for me personally, I don't think it's a very inspiring list of managers I just gave. Um, what, what about you, Jonathan? Any of those um, tickle, tickle your fancy for Leicester? Absolutely no clue. Uh, I feel like at this point they're going down. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be wild if they did end up getting relegated. It feels like the best team and as long as I can remember, the best squad that has been relegated in some time. But um, I have absolutely no clue who they go with and I'm not sure it will make a difference in the end. No, and I think, I mean, Madison, I think whether they do still go, I think his time is up. I think that he's been... A good servant for club. He's been there long enough. Long to he's, he's a fantastic player. He's been there far too long for a team that's by batting relegation. He should not be anywhere near this kind of football. He should be the guy playing in Europa League at at minimum. Let alone he should, he's that good. I think on his day he should be playing for most teams in England. So I think he'll probably leave. And I think that you know if they were to get relegated, I think that I think it'll be a sad day because they won the Premier League only six, seven years ago, whatever it was. To me, the best story in the Premier League, besides Liverpool winning the Premier League, of course, from biased point of view, but I think it's the most magical story in any football season in, in domestic football. Certainly, I think Greece have certainly answered, have a have certainly have a case for that when it comes to any sort of football story. But I think Leicester, for me, you thought for years their team would never go down. You thought they'd cement themselves as a Premier League regular Whilst I do think that you know, if they would stay up, they would stay up for a few more years. I don't think they'll be involved next year. But I think if they go down, I think we'll see a lot of players leave. And I don't think we'll see a lot of great players come in. Uh, but maybe the the well-run family that it is, maybe um, way the club's owned, uh, maybe players still won't be convinced. Um, but that is pretty much it for the Premier League. Um, now, of course, we are going to bring to you uh, later on, probably next week, the European one, which Ryan, you host. Um, one of the games is Napoli AC Milan, which is a all-Syria fixture. Of course, on the weekend, just gone, 
they play each other, and Napoli, who were the runaway leaders of the Serie A, they lost 4-0 to AC Milan. Now, Ryan, you want to talk about the league in total, but do you think that this defeat for Napoli and win for AC Milan, is this any sort of concern for Napoli going into the Champions League game, or is this more them not taking the league seriously because they know they've already pretty much won it? This was a bit of a freak result, to be honest with you. I mean, Napoli were missing Victor Osimhen, who's been the most, well, probably just behind Haaland in terms of you know, the most lethal finisher this season in, in Europe. For Milan, uh, I don't think anybody really, even the most diehard Milan supporters, did not expect that kind of result. And more specifically, that kind of performance as well, because they didn't just beat Napoli. They they destroyed him, quite frankly. I thought you know, Rafael Leal was absolutely world-class. It's a shame we don't see that every single game from him. Um, but you can see he's got it there. Brahim Diaz, who's on loan from Real Madrid, was exceptional in that sort of number 10 role. Um, Salamaka's goal towards the end was, you know, Messi-esque. That was excellent. And for Napoli, we haven't seen that at all this season from them pretty much. So I wouldn't say it's any real concern going into the Champions League fixtures against Milan and for the rest of the season, you know, the Squadetto is safe in their hands and their supporters are already celebrating it pretty much in the streets. They've got um, 10 games left, but 16 points clear. They're not going to drop um, drop that lead. And I still fancy them strongly in the Champions League. I don't, it's not changed my mind whatsoever. Interestingly, you know, they, they've actually done really, really well without Osimhen and the team. So that was why it was even sort of more of a surprise than what it was. But no, I just think this was, a again, a freak result. I don't see it having any real impact on those Champions League fixtures. Milan are still way too inconsistent, I believe, to have any real impact in that competition. And I think for them, a top four finish would be a successful season but you know in terms of the top four because that's really the only fight this season right at this stage really in Serie A because relegation is is pretty much done and dusted Cremonese are you know a bottom and you know they're 12 points off you know 17th place Sampdoria they're going to go down as well which is quite sad to see and uh, Verona also looks set to to join them and you know, there's there's six points separating 18th and 17th. I just think even with 10 games left, that's that's a big gap down at the bottom. And um, unless we see a major, you know, capitulation from one of the teams just above the relegation zone, I think those three teams will go down. And as I mentioned, Napoli, they've already pretty much won the league. So it's only the, you know, the top four or top three rather to, to really go for. But, it is rather exciting now because you've got Lazio in second who have hit a really good vein of form. They now sit on 55 points and they're four points clear now of Milan in third. So they've got a nice little cushion. They won at the weekend as well, got a good result way to Monza. But for, for Milan, Inter, Roma and Atalanta, only three points separate those clubs. We, you know, So it's always playful there. Inter, they lost. You know, Fiorentina beat them. Um, earlier on in the weekend, Fiorentina, who are in brilliant, brilliant form as well. And um, 
But like I say, I mentioned Milan, they're very inconsistent, but I do expect them to to make the top four. Roma, that they were very impressive as well over the weekend. They won, so you can't discount them as well. Atalanta, I just think they just concede too many goals. Atalanta to 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 really get over the line, and and then Juventus, who um, we pretty much counted them out after you know that fifteen point deduction. They were languishing in the bottom half of the table, but they've been on a great run of form since then. They're now seventh in the league, and. They are only six points behind Inter in fourth place. So with those 10 games, again, it's... I don't, I don't know. I don't know with that with, with Juve because they're not... Although they're winning games, they're not winning them convincingly at the moment. They're only winning pretty much most of their games by just the one goal, whether it's 1-0 or whether it's 2-1. Um, they're not looking inspiring in any of their fixtures and... I just think when they're going to come up against any decent teams that really put them under the under the caution, put them under some pressure, that they can't really find an answer. So I'd be I'd be shocked if they turned that around. But of course, there's still a little chance that they get their uh, fifteen point deduction overturned. I, I don't really, there's not really been any news on that lately. So we know that they have appealed it. So it could yet happen. If it did, it would mean that they would pretty much get into the. Champions League places for next season, but they have the alternative route, you know, of the of the Europa League, which they could, of course, still win, and that would be not only a trophy but obviously Champions League football for next season. So, I would imagine that's where Allegri is is putting his eggs at this point, because it's a winnable competition with the players that they do have, and yeah, it's going to be an interesting season, nevertheless, for Juve and. For the rest of the Champions League uh, contenders, um, it's just a matter of who can really keep their bottle at this point and who can be the most consistent. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's a shame that I think at one point it was looking like it was going to be a, a very exciting league all round of all top, bottom, middle, but I think it's been sadly not, not as good as it was last year. I think last year was, was pretty amazing, but. I, I would love to know the odds of Napoli to not only win the league but also win the uh, Champions League. And I'd love to know first of all what the odds were to win the league at the start of the year, and the odds were winning the Champions League. Because someone's bound to be an optimistic fan of Napoli that would have bet on them winning the Champions League when the season started. And there's probably someone out there that has bet on a, someone has probably bet on the Champions League and the league double. And I would love to know what those odds are because I know they're short now because they've got. Uh, easy route to the final, but I think I I can see I can't see them being any lower than thirty to one the start of the year to win the Champions League. I think they would have been not even probably in the top ten favourites uh, at the start of the season, and I think that you know there was there I'm gathering that someone's out there has put on both, and I can see maybe as you put ten pound on that, I reckon you get maybe even a grand, if not maybe half, maybe five hundred pounds. I don't know, but it's. I would love to know what the odds are because that person, if they were to win both, I think would would be in for the the biggest of all paydays. So um, yeah, that is certainly one I'd love to. If, if you're listening, uh, if you are listening and you know someone who has done that, do let us know on Twitter, DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Um, do let us know, and I'd love to get that person even on the podcast if you can. If not, just to um, see a screenshot of that bet. Uh, we are going to head to a quick break. When you get back. 
we're going we're to head to the final league, which is the Bundesliga, as Jonathan goes over a very tight uh, top four race, as well as what is a um, very crucial result at the top of the table. See you guys in a sec. Welcome back to the Eurotrips Football Podcast. We are here for our final league, which is the Bundesliga. Um, so, Jonathan, first of all, a big result at the top, but you also wanted to talk about the um, top four race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like every single year now we get all hyped up and all excited for this final Dortmund-Bayern de Classica clash at the end of the season. And then, of course, after 23 minutes, Bayern Munich is already up 3 nothing, and the game is over. Uh, they ended up winning 4-2 and pretty much stamped their place on top of the Bundesliga table. And they have a fairly easy schedule on the way out. I think Mainz is probably their toughest test they have left. And if Mainz is their toughest test they, they have left, um, they should be just fine to win the Bundesliga title unless something catastrophic happens for the 11th straight season. But yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about is this top four, uh, this Champions League race is getting pretty tight. Bayern and Dortmund are pretty much guaranteed a spot next year in the final four. But we have Union, SC Freiburg, RB Leipzig, Frankfurt, Leverkusen, and Mainz uh, in about three through eight there. And especially when it comes to five through eight of Leipzig, Frankfurt, Leverkusen, and Mainz, it's getting pretty tight. Frankfurt have really been playing some bad football over the last couple of months. Leipzig just lost 3-0 to Mainz over the weekend, and they keep dropping points unexpectedly. And Freiburg keep on skating by withdraws. Um, and I want to take a look at the remaining schedule. I'm a little concerned when it comes to Freiburg in fourth place uh, about their last four games. They play Leipzig, Union, Frankfurt, and Wolfsburg to end year. All those teams are currently in the top nine of the standings. And I could easily see uh, my club absolutely bottling it in the end and then dropping down to the Europa League places, which wouldn't be a bad, bad spot, especially for a team like Freiburg. I think Union sitting on 51 points. They are 11 points clear of seventh place Leverkusen. Um, unless something crazy happens, I do see them getting a Champions League spot. So that all comes down to that fourth spot, whether it be Leipzig, whether it be Leverkusen even, who started off the season so poorly. And now Xabi Alonso has pretty much completely turned them around. And I don't believe it's any coincidence since Florian Wirtz came back into the lineup they've been uh playing so well and obviously jeremy fringpong down the right is it's hilarious that he's considered a a defender on uh, the bundesliga fantasy app because he's basically just a right winger at this point but um, i wanted to ask you guys who do you see as maybe getting those third and fourth spots um in this champions league race I mean, it, for me, it's um, you know, I I will see. So it's a game that I don't watch Bundesliga week in week out, and I think that um, it's not completely out of the realm for someone like I don't know, like a Mind in eighth or maybe a Wolfsburg in ninth. But um, for me, I think from everything I've got from yourself, Jonathan, uh, from your previous uh, posts on this season, I think Union Berlin. I can see him having top four. Um, and I think that Leipzig, even though they're not maybe the team they were a few years ago, I think they'll still nick into that fourth place. I still think it will be only real one change as it stands. Um, you know, 
But you know, Dortmund, uh, they do owe me a little bit. They haven't. They they. I find them, as you said before, a very weird team, and I think that they could easily finish as low as fourth, if not third. I can see Union Berlin even pipping them to the second place. And I think that now Bayern have got too short. I think as good as Nagelsmann is, and I like him as a manager, too short is just that level above, and I think that. They got them in at the right time just before that game they played against each other. And I think that uh, but I can see Dortmund slipping away a little bit as well. Uh, and then I think that the more talk of Bellingham leaving, I think may potentially affect his, may, maybe not his performances, maybe the team around him. So, you know, he's leaving. I don't know. But um, yeah, I certainly think um, personally from an outsider looking in, it'll be pretty much four of the top five right now that um, make the Champions League spots. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't think it's as necessarily as tight as what maybe Jonathan you think it is, because obviously there's only what thirty four match days in Bundesliga, and they've already played twenty six. So there's only eight games left, and I say that only, but Union Berlin, you know, they've got what six points gap to to Leipzig. Um, I know they've been in dreadful form, but. I don't know. I can I can see them holding on, which would be an unbelievable season for them. I think it's more fourth place, really. And I, I think there's a main sort of battle between Freiburg and Leipzig, to be honest with you. I'd be amazed if Leipzig didn't somehow get into the top four, considering the strength of their team and the wealth of talent that they have, especially with um, Benjamin Sesko to join next season as well, which I think is going to be you know, a, a great signing. You know, I, I rate him very highly. So, yeah, I think it would be uh, a big su- surprise if Leipzig didn't didn't get in there. So, I think the top two obviously are definitely safe, and then I do think Union Berlin and and Leipzig will be the other two teams that make it. But um, I do agree with you know the the, the title race now. Although my pre season suggestion was that Dortmund would win it. And I maintain that throughout the entire season. I do now think with the managerial change of Bayern, I think Tuchel will just now get them over the line. And the the devastation that Dortmund must feel now after the result over the weekends, I think that will be all the difference. So I, I, I expect Bayern now to, to go on and pretty much win it comfortably. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think the one team... Those clubs uh, such as Freiburg, Leipzig, and, and Frankfurt need to look out for is Leverkusen. They haven't lost since February third, so that's that's, ex- that's exactly two months now. Um, a competitive game since February third, and um, yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, Freiburg, they're going to drop points. I do not see them sticking in the top four at all. And Union Union won't finish out the season perfect as well. But um, yeah, I do agree. I think those top three are fairly settled, and and Leipzig should. Pip Freiburg for the top spot. I mean, Frankfurt, it'll be interesting to see what happens there because I feel like they have so many players whose heads are else, elsewhere. Randall Colo Muani, um, he could leave this summer, possibly to Manchester United if they're willing to pay that massive fee. Daichi Kamada is most likely going to Dortmund on a free. Jesper Lindstrom could join Arsenal. Evan Indica is definitely leaving on a free. And and Gibral So, sort of a, a do-it-all player in the midfield, will also likely leave. So they have so many people leaving on free transfers with contracts running out. 
that I don't see them sticking in the European places at all. I did want to mention one last thing. Um, Stuttgart is now in last place in the table, 18th place, one point behind Schalke. Um, and they just fired Bruno Labadia. He was in his second stint as a Stuttgart head coach. He was only in charge for 11 games, and he's now gone. Sebastian Hunis, who was Hoffenheim's manager last season, um, has now taken over for Stuttgart. And it's it's very strange because the last game of Stuttgart's season is against Hoffenheim. So if it comes down to a relegation battle on the last match day of the season, uh, Sebastian Hunis, who was at Hoffenheim last season, will be up against Hoffenheim's new coach, Pellegrino Matarazzo, who was at Stuttgart um, actually earlier this season. So it'll be a, a little swip swap battle there potentially for um, for everything on the table. And this is Stuttgart's fourth trainer of the season. They've had um, a different manager for every single round of the DFB Pokal this year. So it's uh, quite an interesting strategy if that's what they're trying to do. But I doubt that they're staying up. One because just quickly, I wanted to ask Jonathan as well about um, the resurgence in the form of um, Florian Wirtz of, of Leverkusen. Obviously, he's had his injury problems this season, but as a, as an avid football manager fanatic, I know him quite well from the game, and he seems to be an exceptional talent. Um, do you think that his sort of resurgence in form and hopefully now being injury-free will be the difference for for Leverkusen again, potentially back into the Champions League for next season. I think so. He's so important for them because Patrick Schick has been injured so often this season and they haven't really had that number nine up front that they usually do. Sardar Azmoun, um, the Iranian international, has struggled in front of goal as well. So for that first half of the season with Verts still recovering from his ACL tear, they really didn't have anybody in the middle of the park to actually score the goals. They had Musa Diaby and, and Jeremy Frimpong down the right flank. Callum Hudson-Odoi has been extremely disappointing um, since his move from Chelsea on loan. But Florian Verts allows – he takes some off some of the pressure off of Diaby and and um, allows for, for different opportunities and creates different goals from all areas of the pitch. It looks like his contract is until 2027. I know a, a move to the Premier League will, will probably occur at some point. I don't see it happening this summer, but I easily see Leverkusen going back into the Europa League this season. And they're still in uh, the Europa League. They're the last German club left in it for this season. And um, I think he's going to be absolutely massive again next season and then probably make that jump to, to England in 2024. They, they could be a genuine... Outsider, I think, for the Europa League, um, considering, considering the form they're in and the way Xabi Alonso's got them playing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write them off from potentially getting to the final or even, or even winning that. But I think Verts, he, he, he's almost like a Kai Havertz uh, region. You know, the fact that he's so similar, I think, to Havertz, and hopefully he doesn't follow the same career path, faces <laughs> yeah. his extreme potential up. You know, a certain West London club, but yeah, I I hope he does stay in the Bundesliga for a little while because it annoys me when you know players from Germany or Italy or Spain or France are having incredible seasons, and you know, obviously if they're not 
if they're at one of the big clubs like a Bayern or or a or a Juventus or a Barcelona, they don't tend to really get linked elsewhere that much. But when they're at one of the other clubs, certainly in those leagues, what's all you see is moves to the Premier League, whether it's to, to, to Newcastle with all their money now or you know, one of the other top six clubs or even a mid-table club. And I think to myself, just, you know, just just leave it alone. You know, we don't want all the great players in the Premier League at the end of the day, you know, because... Become... I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, just, I just... No, I don't, I, I don't like it because, you know, I sort of seen over the last couple of months, you know, Kavara uh, Tashkilia being linked with a move, whereas to, to Manchester City, even to Arsenal, as much as I would love that, and I really would love it, I don't, I want him, I want us to continue seeing playing in, in Serie A um, for Napoli, I want him to to really achieve, you know, some great things there, and I don't see the, the rush all the time and having to see these players jump into the Premier League so quickly, you've seen that time and time again fail, and, you know, just let these players develop and you know, have 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 some great seasons in their own leagues before they potentially make the jump into the in, in, into the Premier League. So yeah, that's one of my little um, pet hates that I've developed this season. That is actually a great segue into my question. I was going to ask you, Jonathan, was about a potential Bundesliga player that could be joining Liverpool. One of our targets is said to be um, Eintracht Frankfurt's Jesper Lindstrom. Now, I've never heard of this guy. But I've looked at his research and he's obviously played at Bromby, uh, the team of Daniel Agger, legend, um, but also obviously being in Frankfurt since 2021. Says he's a winger, slash midfielder. So you obviously, you watch Frankfurt a lot more than I do. For you, Jonathan, is he a player we would like to have on our team? Or do you think maybe he's not quite there yet? I think he needs another season in, in the Bundesliga. Um, honestly, I... I think personally, after all the reports that I've seen, he does want to make that move to the Premier League this this uh, this summer, which I, I do agree with Ryan on. Um, as a German fan, of course, I'm biased, but um, you know th- they're all after the wages. It's what it is. They have this dream of playing in the Premier League, which is um, you know perfectly reasonable. But Frankfurt and clubs in Germany and Italy just can't offer those same wages that now clubs like Newcastle all of a sudden can. Um, he's a winger. He can play on the right wing, left wing. He isn't any sort of number nine or can't really play as a striker, maybe a secondary striker in a number 10 role, but his best positions are out on the wing. It was a bit of a slow start um, to his life at Frankfurt last season, but um, this year he's especially really turned it around. And I think having Mario Goza, who moved from PSV back to Germany this season has actually opened up more space for him on the wings and, and he's been extremely creative is extremely quick with the ball at his feet um, and is really good at, at creating just that tiny bit of space to get a shot on target so I think he would be a good fit on Liverpool especially you know they seem to be looking for some more wing wingers I think they need to f- figure out the midfield first of course but I, I think he'll come at a fairly reasonable price as well Frankfurt are only asking 30 million for him at the moment which I think is extremely reasonable for a player of his quality. So um, I could, I could easily see him making the jump, but I hopefully it's, he waits one more year. Yeah, no, I think that some players, they are have been guilty of making the jump too early. I do think that maybe Jaden Sancho could be a victim of that, but I think that um, certainly are a lot of players that maybe regret moves 
a year or two. Because at the end of the day, these players can make these moves and never recover. Whereas if they wait an extra one or two years, then um, I think it, it can be a, make a whole lot of difference. Uh, before we do end the podcast, I want to quickly bring our listeners' attention to a final league, which hasn't been mentioned. But as you know, a Hollywood megastar is involved. It's only right that we talk about it. And also just how exciting this league is. Because at the moment, in the, in the Conference National League in England, Wrexham and Nos County have got a three points separating them. Wrexham have 100 points and Nos County have 97. I mean, that is the title of all title race of all title races. Only one team, I believe, goes up uh, automatically. The other, other four teams, second to fourth to fifth, go through playoff. And I think it's a fantastic situation because... They play each other on Easter Monday. So Rex and Lost Counties, Monday, April 10th, where there'll only be four games left. So that game really would be a massive game. And I think that for those who have BT Sports, I'm assuming it will be on uh, BT Sport that day. Uh, I think it may be the only game I ever watch of National League in the last five years because it is not only where my mum's from, uh, but also just because it's such an exciting finish to league. So I think if you're Listening, you want a new league to follow. I think maybe that is one league you could sit down and watch um, towards April, especially Easter Monday, when you know most people will be chilling and not doing a lot. So I think that could be a good one to watch. I just wanted to also um, bring the listeners' attention to a lowly club in Italy, uh, Catania, who celebrated their promotion back to Serie C this uh, this weekend. Sorry, and uh, they had an attendance of 18,000 in that stadium for, for a Serie D club. You know, that's the fourth tier of Italian football. I think that's absolutely incredible. And if you um, if you do do a little Twitter search, you'll you'll see the, the scenes in the stadium. And it's a, it's an unbelievable atmosphere for such a, you know, lower league um, club. So, yeah, just wanted to mention that as we were mentioning Wrexham. No, brilliant. And I think that's um, a club I do recognise the name of. So, um, yeah, fair play to everyone involved in that club. Sounds like they're back on the right track. But we will end it there. Um, this has been the Eurotrust podcast. I've been Andy. This has been Ryan. This has been Jonathan. And we will see you guys at our next. <laughs>